My agent called, he said he got some interest in my script I'm glad I didn't tell him that I never finished it I got my cast of characters and outline for the plot I even got a famous classic case of writer's block Get it out of my head 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 Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On the Page. Joining me as podcast producer is a deep Desai. Hey. Future daddy of Ruby. I wonder by now if I have one. Do you think? Do you think, like, at this moment, she could be in labor? When, when will this air? Let's see. Oh. Oh, I could totally have a baby by now. That's oh, weird. all right. That, that, that is kind of weird. This is kind of like a weird time travel thing. It, it is. It is. I may or may not have a baby, future <laughs> me. Oh, we could do a whole sci-fi movie about this. <laughs> we could. It wouldn't be a good one. But no, it would be, be terrible. Right. But, like, you know. <laughs> Let's it, talk in, in a the sci-fi th- movie, the, the podcast would have to go into the pa- the past somehow. Yeah. yeah. You know, or into the future in some sort of strange way. Well, it loop. always does because right. we tape into the future, so we never yeah. know when people are listening what will have happened. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let's, okay, let's send a message to Ruby from okay. the past. Okay. Okay, what do you want to say to Ruby? Um, be nice to your daddy. Oh, that's good. That's good. Uh, Sean Hood, our guest for the podcast, is there anything you would like to say to a deep disguised future <laughs> daughter? Maybe some advice on the business? You know, my, uh, uh, my daughter just recently got her, uh, she's 11 years old, and she just recently got her standardized test back. And oh. um, my wife got them first, and she looked um, looked at the the standardized test, which tests you know a range of subjects, but in in mathematics and in reading comprehension, she got in the 99th percentile um, for all private schools or whatever. And she told her, "You're very smart. Don't be a screenwriter." <gasps> oh no! <laughs> because she wants her to go into science or go into something. Because you know it's uh, it's like my parents. My parents are both musicians, uh-huh. and you know I, I my brother and I having watched. The, the day-to-day struggle yeah. of musicians yep. and, you know, practicing for six hours a day. It just looks so, you know, it, it looks like such a struggle. We decided, oh, we're going to both be screenwriters. Little did we know. Because that's so much easier. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, of course, you know, um, my, my daughter's a wonderful writer and a, a, um, actually a good little actress, and uh, she can be anything she wants. But I thought it was funny that my, my wife, that was my... That was her uh, immediate advice. You're very smart. Don't be a screenwriter. You know which guarantees that she will be. Oh, absolutely. Of yeah, of course. Or definitely. a musician. Right. Exactly. Or she'll or she'll be an actress and really foil us. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. I would like to say to to Ruby that uh, when your daddy uh, uh, threatens to embarrass you you by not letting you go to that dance that you really want to go to, you come on over to Aunt Pilar's. Oh house. no! I'll take mm-hmm. you to the dance. That's you know, all I'm saying. Laura and I have had that conversation That's and it. how I. I can't forbid people from going to dances. That's right, exactly. That kind so of stuff, you know. But Laura of, might have to get on your side. That's a, you know, I'll, right. I'll do it. I'll I basically it. told Laura that once she turns about ten or eleven, I just kind of hand her off and go. I don't know what's what any of this is. Don't do that Be- because I don't understand. I know, but I don't understand female bullying. Within well, few, you know, that you know, it stuff? doesn't have to be like that. I okay. mean, I have an eleven-year-old who's yeah. not like that. Uh, Sean has an eleven-year-old who's not like that. You know, a lot of this, which comes first? 
the movie about the bullies or the bullies themselves? And, Hmm. you know, are these things feeding each other? Uh You know, sometimes you you see all these mean girls things and you, you know, is it actually romanticizing that kind Hmm. of a character? So does that make it okay? So um, that that might be another. She's going to learn how to box either way. (laughs) Either way, she's going to know how to throw a punch. That's awesome. Will you teach me that too? Okay, good. Excellent. Some, okay. Someone taught Sophie how to, uh, uh, like if she's ever grabbed from behind, how to bend the pinky finger oh, back. Oh, nice. And, That's good. Um, That's she was helpful. reading some book, I can't remember, but uh, uh, where, no, she was watching Battlestar Galactica because she's a nerd. Uh-huh. Yes, and she saw the episode in which awesome. um, someone, there's an attempted rape and someone um, oh, yeah. bites somebody's ear off. And yeah. she's, she was very excited about the prospect <laughs> of possibly of, of bending somebody's pinky back or, or, or biting or someone's ear off. Ear. Uh, I love your she's daughter. She's bloodthirsty. Survival skills for 11-year-olds. Exactly. Okay, new That's book. awesome. All right, I'm, I'm in. I'm R- in. Ruby now has a mentor. Right. Sophie. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Listen, girl. <laughs> you just go for the ear. <laughs> I, don't, I have no idea how to segue to your bio, Sean, but we're going to do that. Sean Hood is a screenwriter, screenwriter and filmmaker um, and also uh Uh, authors the the popular blog genrehacks.com genrehacks.com which has a lot of stuff about screenwriting uh, rules and uh, actually why don't you before we get into the other stuff that you've done we'll talk a little bit about genrehacks.com well one of the things that's nice about writing a blog and doing certain types of uh, of writing like it is that you get to write whatever you want to instead of you know uh, constantly trying to cater to the the Hollywood community and there are a number things that interest me some of it is uh, i teach at usc so some of it is just about screenwriting and my um observations about screenwriting but also we're at a very interesting time when technology is really changing the way uh screenwriters work and changing the kinds of things that we write for so i'm d- just very very interested in the world of technology and, and how it's changing and how it's changing the landscape for screenwriters so i write a lot about that as well um, we're at a time where screenwriters more and more have to write for anything with the screen. It could be, you know, it could be uh, uh, for IMAX. It could be for, uh, you, you know, an iPad. It, but uh, there, uh, it's not just feature film films anymore. You write for TV. You write for webisodes. You write for. Um, you have to think of yourself as a storyteller, a storyteller that interacts with all these different kinds of technology and media, and use. Um, and be inventive and be an entrepreneur, um, creating your own types of projects instead of, you know, it, there was a sort of a traditional way that I think that screenwriters, um, in sort of a passive way, you get a manager and an agent, they would put you up for writing assignments, you would go out for them, and there was like sort of a, a set pattern for how you went about creating a career and uh, telling stories. But more and more, that traditional foundation is eroding. Uh, there was a an article in the uh, the LA Calendar about how uh, in the last two years uh, they've seen ten percent drops in both the number of screen um, WGA screenwriters who are working and the amount of money that they're making from traditional sources, uh, traditional uh, feature films. Um, uh, TV is is held pretty steady because there's so much TV um, mm-hmm. uh, happening. But more and more people are looking to a broad range of entertainment and more and more people are looking to a a broad range of technologies to hear stories. So I'm trying to, as much as I can, investigate all these other ways that uh, people are finding to tell stories and uh, think about how screenwriters can make a living and um, find 
uh, find ways of expressing themselves in these other areas besides traditional film. Because there's only so many people who get to write Batman and Spider-Man mm-hmm. and the, Avenger, the Avengers. Mm-hmm. And more and more feature films are about those gigantic movies. And the people who are working are becoming a smaller, smaller, smaller group of A-list writers. And for me, I've always been a middle-class writer. I've always had, you know, uh, for the last 12 years, I've always, every year I would have you know, be two or three writing assignments, mostly for movies that weren't get that never got made because only you know it used to be you know like only about one out of ten uh, movies that were in development actually made it to the screen. So, uh, but there was a lot of that sort of middle budget work out there, and a lot of that middle budget work has evaporated. They're yeah. just not making those movies like anymore. The ten They're, to forty million range, or precisely, even, even precisely. More, or? All the movies that I was writing, uh, if they had had become movies, would have fit into that sort of. Um, um, place and th- that base is eroding. Where um, I- unless you're an A-list writer, it's very very difficult to be a, a middle class writer, and it's also very very difficult to tell any kind of personal story because even mm. you know the independent film the, the independent film market is really um, gotten smaller and smaller. It's, it's it's harder and harder to even find that five million dollar film mm. that would play at Sundance like y- you might have in say the '90s. So. On the other hand, we're at a time with the red camera and other technologies where making feature films and telling stories is becoming cheaper and cheaper than ever. And the opportunities on the internet to distribute you know, uh, to almost anyone are exploding. Um, it's just not clear now how these opportunities can be monetized exactly. and how uh, uh, you can make a living doing these things and also how you can tell – Every one of us, every one of us who set out to be a screenwriter did so because we had movies in our heads. We thought we could be the originators of stories and be uh, – and and every time we we start writing a script, a spec script, we can only do it if we imagine there's a place for this. This could be a feature film. And uh, it's becoming harder and harder to write those specs knowing there's no way this is going to actually be made into a movie because all they're going to – all they want to make, they being you know the the major studios – are um, projects based on pre-branded concepts, whether it be a comic book, an underlying novel, um, a remake of a previous film. And that's not what we got into the business Mm -hmm. ultimately to do. It's great work when you have it, but uh, ultimately we thought that we had ideas and we had stories to tell that ought to be movies or ought to be um, told with movie cameras, ought to be, you know, that people should watch these stories. Um, so I'm constantly on genre hacks and, and other places like the question and answer um, website, Quora.com, trying to answer questions and, and sometimes investigating and researching for myself by interviewing other people about it. Uh, how is it that people with the skills that we have, the storytelling skills that we have, the, 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 the skill of uh, telling a story with pictures and telling a story with dialogue and sound effects and, and coming up? For the, with a structure for movies and TVs, how can we tell these stories in this emerging landscape um, and with these these newer technologies? So that's what the, the the blog is all about. And what do you teach at USC? Is it is it along these lines as well? Well, it 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 will be in the future. I originally came back to USC because, um, well, I have a very good friend named Trey Calloway with with whom I sometimes collaborate on on uh, pilot scripts and such. Uh, who went back to USC because USC didn't have a course on pitching. And one of the things he, he, know, uh, he of course, realized coming out of <laughs> USC is that's what every writer faces. The first thing all of us, you know, introverted, bookish people have to do is stand up to a uh, 
a table of like 12 people and do a song and dance to try to, to sell things. And he actually came from the, uh, the world of advertising. So he already had a lot of pitching skills going into it. But he realized that so many people at USC were sort of thrown into the wilds not realizing that they, uh, that they would have to be doing so much of this. And they you know, only learned by, by their mistakes. And so he thought, I'm going to go back there and um, create this class for pitching, which immediately became – extremely popular because, you know, as will happen, a couple of the kids who took his class then went on to sell pitches that became TV shows, that sort of oh, thing. Right. And so um, his class, um, he, he was one of the executive producers on CSI, and he and one of um, his uh, uh, co-writers there start, started teaching more classes, and so that, that uh, pitching class grew and grew. And I was having uh, I was having breakfast with him, and we were, you know, batting around ideas, but he was talking about how rewarding it was to go back to USC and teach, and how um, how uh, for any writer, even ten years out of school, you get so much energy from the passion of people who are approaching screenwriting for the first time, or in the first like couple years of of their development, um, because uh, th- there's so much raw idealism and there's so much creativity. Um, so. I thought, wow, that's what my father does. He's a professional musician who went back to, um, to USC. He's been teaching there actually now for almost 30 years. Wow. Mm. Um, but he, he teaches trumpet. He was – Oh, who's your dad? Uh, he was uh, – he's Boyd Hood. He was, oh, Boyd, yeah. He was in the, uh, uh, the LA Philharmonic for 27 yeah. um, years. And he teaches you know, in the music school right next to the film school. Yeah. So I thought, why shouldn't I go back? And I tried to think you – know, I, it wouldn't be good for me to teach a pitching class. I'm okay at pitching now, but I'm not an expert. I never, never was. Um, um, mostly, uh, like if you look at my blog, you'll find all these humorous accounts of pitches gone horribly wrong. But I didn't think that was what I should be teaching. What, um, what I, and what I felt that I wasn't necessarily prepared for was the amount of rewriting I would be doing when I got into the business. My first job was rewriting another uh, feature script. And uh, throughout the last 12 years, I'd say 80% of my work comes from being hired, someone has a script already written. Could be a rough draft form. It could be a script that was 15 years old that they pulled out of the the closet, or it could be um, a lot of times, you know, three weeks before production happens, and they realize the script has a bunch of uh, problems and it needs to be overhauled, or maybe just maybe just polished. But so much of my work came from rewriting the feature, um, the rewriting the f- feature script, and so much of my own work, even on my whether it was my independent projects or my spec scripts, I realized was about it wasn't about that first draft. It was about that second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth. About going back to it, back to it, and back to it. And and that's what I realized. So much of the film school experience is about those that first draft of a screenplay, like figuring out you know the the uh, some of the principles of screenwriting and writing that first draft, and then writing a first draft of another script. But there wasn't as much focus on okay, I'll have that first draft. What do I do with it? How do I break it down? So I teach rewriting the feature script. So when you're looking, let's say you've been hired to to rewrite a project, mm-hmm. what's your approach, especially since it's not your own? Right. Okay. And I think this is really important for people to hear because often when they're looking at write, rewriting their own project, they look at it from this internal place, you know, I, I think it needs such and such. But here you are looking at something that's not your own. Mm-hmm. What would you be keeping in mind as you're reading it as sort of a test as to what needs to be rewritten? Sort of like how do you break it down? Yeah. How, how are you analyzing it for, for the rewrite? Well, um, it, you know, I tend to – the first thing um, that you have to realize is, is there's a big difference when I approach 
Um, most of the, the jobs that I get uh, that I get hired to rewrite are not somebody's original idea, a spec script that someone's taking and taking in another direction. It's usually, you know, like Conan the Barbarian. There were uh, y- 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 there were probably over the last ten years or before it came out, there were there were any number of scripts written and from by different people in different situations. Um, uh, under you know, depending on who had the rights to the, uh, the to the underlying material at the time, and this was just another incarnation of it, and it was uh, uh, it was based on underlying material and based on existing characters, and there was a lot of other people who had ideas about how, I mean, like the director who um, ha- had ideas about how it should be um, that character should manifest, and a lot of the work that I've had over the last ten years does come from that kind of place, like an existing franchise, like the Halloween franchise, or. Um, uh, a uh, a lot of the books uh, a lot of the books that I did adaptations for um, might have had uh, someone might have t- taken an initial pass at it, but they decided they didn't want to go in that direction. They give gave give me the underlying material and I'd go in a different direction. So um, uh, I've never actually I'm trying to think. I don't I've never been in a situation where I've uh, I've been hired to rewrite somebody's spec script, mm-hmm. um, but. Um, and so you feel a little less like you're um, – I, I don't know. You feel a little less like you're invading somebody's temple oh, when right. it's based right. on underlying material. Um, when, when, when somebody gives you something that has all these, these things attached to it like you just uh-huh. said, uh, do they usually guide you as to what they're looking for with the rewrite? Um, they try to, but usually what happens <laughs> is you get hired because they don't know what to do. Got and it. so you have to come in and pitch your take. And that's the first thing that I teach in my rewrite class is the first thing you have to decide whether it's rewriting your own script or when you're hired to come in and take a project that's dead or a project that's more abundant into a, a new direction is to come up with a way to reinvigorate it, a way to, okay, this script is not working for any number of reasons. And you realize, oh, well, it could go in any number of different directions. You choose one. You work out how you would rewrite it, um, how you would eliminate these two characters, bolster up this, keep the first act exactly as it is, but change the third act or, you know. Do you, like, combine characters and all that kind of stuff? Especially when when there's a book underlying Uh it all because you can find ways of uh, of putting different things together. Or getting back to the book and then. That's what I've done twice. Do you read the book, too? Oh, absolutely. And like that's what I find a lot of times um, is a solution for some of these writing assignments. Uh, someone will get uh, a book that they'll love, uh, the rights to it, and then they'll have any number of ideas of what to do with it. And the executives will hire a writer and they'll go in a certain direction. And then, you know, maybe a year, um, uh, a year down the line, I'll get hired because the you know the direction that they went in does, doesn't seem to work, and more times um, than not, I find the answer is to go back to the the novel because when someone writes a novel, uh, especially one that's say six hundred pages or so, they have to do so much imaginative work. Um, there's so and it's 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 even a even just a good book, not a great one, is so rich on so many levels that there's so much gold to mine from it that I find that a lot of times the answers are already in the text. Um, even if it, even if you ended up changing things slightly in in, in how or, or majorly in how it's manifested in the script, the answers to the problems are all already in there. It's like a, a scene or a chapter or a character. Um, an offhand remark often is the 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 key to whatever you're writing. 
And that, that's even true when you're rewriting your own work because a lot of times people look at the script and they try to grab ideas from the outside or somebody else will suggest something um, to sort of add to the script or change or tweak or sometimes they want to throw the whole thing out. And what I try to encourage my students to do is say, look, the answer to your question is already in there. It's somewhere – reread what you've written. Look at what, um, look at what your characters are saying um, because sometimes it will – like this a small you know, two-page action sequence really needs to be a, you know, a 15-page sequence or a character who's just hanging off in the background really needs to take center stage or an offhand remark that a character makes somewhere in the, you know, the swamplands of page 77 turns out to, to be the entire theme of the piece that gives it all its unity. But mm. it's actually in there already if you'll just go back to your own work and, and, and let it speak to you. And also there's something about sort of going back to your own work and, and it can speak to you better when you're looking at a big picture. Right. When you're so involved in it, we talked about like intuitive versus conceptual last week, right? Yeah. So in this case, it's sort of a conceptual approach to looking at your stuff. What's the big picture? What's the story being mm-hmm. told? Rather than you being sort of lost in the pages at the time, you right. can step back and be your own analyst. You know, something I've been finding a lot lately that I've never been a big theme person because the minute that one of my clients starts saying, well, the theme of this is, <laughs> as I, I just sit there and go, oh, oh okay, go. right. Yeah. But often what I've started to notice is people will think they're speaking to all these little themes, but there was a theme here and theme there. And if they step, step back and yeah. say, but what is your script thematically now that all of these characters and scenes have come together? What is the biggest theme that's emerging? And then rewrite a little bit with sort of pointing around that. Like I said, I've never been a theme person, but it's just it's an interesting way. People think they're approaching all these different little messages, and really there's one big thing that's coming out when they're all done. But isn't it true that you often find your theme after you've sort of written so much of what you and- so much of, of of these sorts of things emerge from the work. Like the what, the theme for me is is something very simple. It's just, why should we care about this story that you're telling? Mm-hmm. Um, it comes to uh, the, the reason, you know, of all the different stories that you could tell and all the different characters you could pick uh, to tell it, why is it important to tell this story? Why is it important for people to watch it? And it could be, you know, something very um, uh, unpretentious, like this is so funny or this is so scary and it's in a way that you mm-hmm. haven't seen before. Um and uh, but it just comes down to the why should anyone care? Like wh- why this story and not another? Uh, and not another. That's what to me the theme is, and it is something that emerges from the process. It's not something that you okay. I've got my theme, and I'm going to illustrate it with the the story. That's death it's, it's, to yeah, script, exactly. isn't it? It's like here's my message movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's not about a message. And yeah, you mean like Sorkin or no? Although I have to say, Aaron Sorkin, I love, love, love. Anybody who's listened to this podcast knows I love The Social Network, yep. and I loved Moneyball. I just love those movies. I'm so disappointed. But Newsroom is newsroom. like hitting you over the head with this. Newsroom, jeez, is anybody going to actually work on the news, or are they just going to talk about the news? <laughs> Mike, have you watched it? I have not. It's on my TiVo, and I, like you, uh, love the man, but also hate him at times. Yeah. Um, and I'm just scared to watch it because I don't want to to be disappointed. I'm waiting for it to get to, like, episode, what are they on now? Uh, I want them the to sweet, get, like, halfway through like the season three, and let other people test run it for me. Well, but if it's just bad, I'm not going to watch I'm, it. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying. I gave up already. I guess. Well, it might you know, get better, but... Uh, but it, 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 who, who knows? Ultimately, you know, the reason that um, I love his writing is not for the preachiness, but because it, uh, it's all based on such 
uh, uh, juicy character emotion. I mean, the social network was uh, about betrayal and friendship and all and, the, and, and ambition and revenge and all those really juicy t- concepts. And it, it might have man- manifested itself in all this clever dialogue, um, but. Underneath it, there was a, a real emotional engine pushing it. Yes. And the, the best episodes of The West Wing were like that as well. I was hanging at the edge of my seat because I cared so much about certain characters, like Toby. I was uh, mm-hmm. just, He would break my heart sometime, that, that, that old cur- curmudgeon. And, <laughs> um, and so it wasn't the, the smarty pants aspect of it, although I do love the fact that he celebrates smart characters and there's so few people celebrating smart um, articulates. Mm-hmm. Um, brainy characters uh, these days that I'm 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 glad he's out there writing that stuff. But I agree with you. As soon as suddenly he you you, you can feel him stepping up on a soapbox to mm-hmm. instruct us. Yeah, and then it's like okay, I know you're clever. I know you're smart. Don't preach yeah, to me. Yeah, and I'm like, hey, news. you I smoke crack. Stuff. Like, why would I listen to a guy who smokes crack? What? Yeah. what? Oh, yeah, Aaron Sorkin. Oh, we're not oh, yeah. going there. By the way, Adip Desai. <laughs> I'm not making that now up. Now that you have... I'll, I'll tell you what, be... he can smoke anything he wants so long as I enjoy his writing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. that is. But, but I didn't enjoy but, it, so Adip, I was like, okay. crack smoker. Adip, Adip, you're going to be a dad. Okay? Yeah. You have to stop, like, getting, like, all this little celebrity gossip you have, like, on your, your Facebook and stuff like that. <laughs> it's hilarious. You have to do something else it's with so your time. Hilarious. No, no, stop. Hey, you know, when I'm waiting for the guy to fix my AC, what am I going to do? I can't write a script. <laughs> Sorry, we got a little off topic. No worries. Sean, Sean um, we're talking about theme. Oh, yeah, we what I wanted theme. to say about you asked me how do I? What's the first thing I do when I approach a uh, uh, a rewrite? Yeah. yeah, I say this having I've been rewritten as often as I've been hired to rewrite. I've uh. done first drafts that have been um, rewritten, and uh, uh, mostly in both cases, mostly for movies that never got made because that's uh, that's a screenwriter's life. But um, I can honestly say that uh, just just as often as I've rewritten stuff and I thought I've made it better um, or I've, I've taken it in the direction that it wanted to go, I've been rewritten and it's it's gotten better or it's gone in a different direction. I mean most of the time um, writers are hired to rewrite scripts not because the previous script was bad but because the – the story that ultimately the, the the producers and the director and the people involved wanted to tell shifts or there are practical needs to um, to the production. Um, a different actor is hired or it, it can't be shot in the south. It's going to be shot in uh, you know Calgary and all these different things happen that, uh, that change the focus of a script. Hmm. And um, uh, uh, so I, uh, what I ultimately try to do when I approach a script and I, it's what I hope – that uh, writers who end up write, rewriting me will do is take the the approach of first do no harm, mm. like mm. what's working and what's alive about the script. Let it stay alive. Don't kill it just because you want it to be yours. I've got a whole oh, better idea, right. and even though this is good, I'm going to get rid yeah. of this because I've got this completely different way in. So start with what's working. Mm-hmm. When when they come to you, do you know why they're coming to you? Like. Like, do you know what your specific strengths are in terms of rewriting jobs, or is it could it be just anything? Like, hey, can you punch up this character, or the, this dialogue, or this structure? Or this usually, um, usually, um, people come to me when uh, there are. It, 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 it's like either at the, from the the big end, from like a structural standpoint, because mm-hmm. I'm good with structure, or it comes from. Uh, juicing up the the basic emotions, almost like a different sides of the spectrum. Um, mm. So if a 
if it's not funny enough, it's not scary enough, it's not dramatic enough, or it's, it needs to be quote unquote punched up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not just punching up dialogue, that's just punching up the scenes. I might yeah. be called in to do a polish. And that's really about looking at a scene or a sequence and not saying, I'm not going to change what's happening in the sequence. I'm not going, but I'm going to think about, okay, how can I make the audience feel it more, feel like mm-hmm. more that they're in the shoes of this person? How can I, you know, um, just amp up the emotion that it evokes. It's interesting what you just said, which is, so they're looking at you as a genre guy, right? Mm-hmm. Scarier, funnier, etc. But mm-hmm. then you're also saying, so I look at the emotion. A oh, lot absolutely. of people would, would say, well, if I'm going to make it scarier or funnier, I'm going to do a joke and I'm going to you know, get a guy in a scary mask. Well, but well, you're saying to do that, find the emotion. Right, right. Um, what I'm saying is that uh, uh, it, it, you don't necessarily make a scene scarier by, by coming up with a more vivid kill what you do is you make make the audience care more about the character who's being threatened with the, by the serial killer you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah um you uh you create a way f- so that the emotional stakes are deeper um for that character so that the audience just feels it more cares whether they they die at the end because it doesn't matter what sort of plot or uh uh it doesn't matter what what gymnastics you do um clever things that you uh, twists and turns that you um uh, jam into a screenplay if the audience doesn't care about that character and it's not emotionally invested in, in what the outcome of a scene or a sequence is you're not going to get the laugh you're not going to get this the, the scream you're not going to get the emotion and that's ultimately what the, um we all want punched up what's the biggest problem that you see with when scripts come to you What's the biggest problem I see, and it's on, uh, it, it happened on the two like sort of major Hollywood movies that um, that I I have actually made made it to the screen. Mm-hmm. It was uh, the, the scripts were overdeveloped. In other words, uh, with um, with both Halloween Resurrection and Conan the Barbarian, I th- um, uh, the, the scripts had been in the development process for a long time. All the writers before me had done quite a number of rewrites and uh uh the and the writers before me were talented writers um uh, certainly no less talented um than i it wasn't like the um the, uh, they said oh these writers aren't working out we're going to bring this smart guy in to fix their mistakes i think th- they were just like tired horses who eventually got ridden into the ground where because sure. what, what happens mm. is you have a script and it's working pretty well um and what, what really needs to happen is you need to let these writers continue on the course they're going and deepen and polish and make it better. But then someone gets involved in the production where they, they say, oh, I have a new idea. We're going to add this to the screenplay. And then that that idea, which is not necessarily any better or worse than the, what's already there, kind of gums up the works a little bit. And so the writers have to do this big rewrite to make this new idea kind of work and fit into what they oh, already yeah. had. And then other stuff starts not working that well, so they get notes to change that. And uh, and that's like a just, ripple effect, right? Exactly, a ripple effect where suddenly something that was great in the end suddenly doesn't work anymore because you did um, all the all the stuff that that uh, um, prepared you for that that the impact of that thing that, uh, isn't there anymore. So it just now that scene lies flat, and then you try to fix it, and all this sort of patchwork changes as as uh, as uh, different people sort of come in and I want this little change and this little change, and you realize wow, a bunch of different people had different ideas about where this screenplay should go. Um, that uh, it, it just gets rewritten and overdeveloped to a place where nothing is working. Mm. Um, and certainly in, in the case of those two movies, they were very close to production, and talented writers had worked on it before me, 
but um, they had gone through so many cycles where it kind of got pushed and pulled in different directions and um, and things were added and taken away and and there, uh, that you know, they were three weeks um, before production and all this stuff that may have worked great in draft one suddenly didn't make any sense anymore. And mm-hmm. all the stuff that um, started to work great in draft six suddenly didn't work anymore. And then suddenly, you know, the writer who had um, – who, uh, who was like the writer who was working right before me, you know, it, there was some crazy thing where he's shipped off to Bulgaria for two weeks and told to do a complete rewrite where it changes it into an entirely different direction. And I mean, who can, who can reinvent a script in, in, in two weeks in Bulgaria? It's not, <laughs> and so he's given it an impossible task. He does his best, but then it, uh, it, it, when they get the script back, it's like, Suddenly, nothing is working because this new change is really gummed up the works. Mm. And so, what I get, um, what I got, was a script that uh, that had all these good ideas that didn't fit together, and um, com- uh, completely different takes on the character, on the mythology, and all this stuff. And so, you had um, maybe a couple of great moments intersp- interspersed. But you know, it, it, um, I had to make all the pieces fit together. I had to make yeah. it work, and that meant. Um, you know, I was flown out to Bulgaria. I was there for like two months. Oh, oh are you serious? And yeah, I was rewriting on the fly. Like as they were shooting, we were like oh. only had like half a script for half of production. Wow. Um, they had no idea how it was going to end. You know, we and we kept. Now, is um, this for this is this for is Conan, Conan the Barbarian? Okay. Three mm-hmm. D. And uh, <laughs> do you get hired by the production company or by the um, studio? Well, in that case, everyone had to agree, and there were three production companies. Well, I mean, there are two production companies and a studio and a director. Everyone had to agree on who was who was oh, going to be hired. Okay. But, um, and in those cases, it really is about um, okay, how can we make all these things work together now, and how can we get everyone who's on the project who may have completely different ideas about what uh, how it should be to agree on at least. You know, a, a certain sequence of pages. God, you can't even get people to agree on where they're going to go for lunch. I know. I mean, imagine. Ha- wow. Exactly. And 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 a lot of it also, or how to get to lunch. Right. And, when, uh, and some and so in production rewrites, often a screenwriter becomes a kind of uh, a psychiatrist or political course. I, I mean, uh, you're a politician trying to get all these different factions to agree on a bill. You know what I mean? And you're and the trying bill to get like, buy-off from all the different Exactly. Entities. And, you know, the first thing, you know, when I first got the script, I'm like, okay, I have to eliminate these two characters. Um, I'm going to change this character from a man to a woman. I'm going to do this, you know. And uh, it was like, you know, getting the okay from all these different factions. And like, okay, if I give you this, then you have to do this. And it's like, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like working on a bill. Yeah. Um, and you do the best you can, and you try you try to keep telling yourself that, you know, there's a lot of ego involved. Everyone, you know, wants their vision to be part of it, especially the director. Um, you know, a director, a producer, and a studio head will all be, you know, they all have their ideas, and they all want to throw their, their weight around. Um, but you as the writer, you have to do your best to keep reminding yourself, you know, I'm the shepherd of this script. Ultimately, you know, if the, the, the film doesn't do well, and in fact, um, Conan the Barbarian didn't do all that well, uh, you you can't point fingers at the um, at the end. It all does come back to you. Um, so uh, you have to ultimately, at the end of the day, take responsibility for what gets put on the page. Yes, you know, a powerful director or a powerful um, uh, studio executive might demand that you do something, but at the end of the day, it's your name on the script, not theirs. So you have to either do it or not do it, but take responsibility for it. And if you don't do it, yes, you may get fired. If you do do it. Okay, but you may get clobbered by the critics um, uh, later when 
it's it's shown to be a, a, a poor choice. And so, you know, you you have to you have to make these decisions constantly. You should write a book on this experience. You know, I've thought about it, the but I'm not files. I'm not far enough away from it yet, really. <laughs> yeah. To get right. one of the things that happened was, uh, you know, I, I put a lot of uh, I happened to, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I happened to have read the comic books and the original stories for Conan the Barbarian. I hadn't really even thought about them until more recently, but I went back to them and it brought up a lot of nostalgia from me uh, being a 12 year old boy reading mm-hmm. these these sort of gory, lurid books, and so. I put a lot of uh, – I invested very heavily in the movie. I decided I'm going to give it my all even though it's a completely insane situation and the uh, the the probability of success giving the situation is very low. It seems I'm still so going un- to, untenable uh, for well, you. Well, but but you, you decide if I'm going to do it, I'm going to give it my all. Yeah. But then – and then you know, as the movie uh, – as it went through reshoots and they went through uh, – uh, cut after cut of the movie. I tried. I stayed. Uh, the, you know, I had a, a, one of the producers was a, a dear friend, and I stayed completely involved doing you know uh, free script work every, every time they did reshoots to try to make the movie work. And so when it came out and it failed, it was impossible not to take it personally. Like, what could I have done? How could I have fought harder for something that I knew wasn't going to work? Um, but you know. Uh, and the, the other thing that happened was I wrote a blog article, um, not on genre hacks, but it was actually a, uh, a Quora answer about what it's like, what it feels like to have your movie flop at the box office. And I wrote it about a week after the film came out, and all it was was an honest account of that feeling of, uh, uh, you know, you hope beyond hope. It's like having a, you know, working on a campaign for a political figure who you know ultimately in the back of your mind, there's no way this guy's going to win. <laughs> <laughs> but you hope, you hope there's going to be some twist, some way that maybe they'll see it in a, the light of it being sort of camp or maybe, you know, those special effects that I haven't seen yet are just going to pull through or maybe just the, the charisma of the star I've just not seen or I'm too close to it. You know, you tell yourself all of this stuff and then it comes out and you realize, no, I was – I was right six yeah. months ago when I was terrified mm-hmm. about the movie coming, and and so I wrote about that quite um, pretty honestly, and, uh, uh, and uh, the the blog art article went viral. Um, it was published. Um, it was picked up by Deadline Hollywood, yep. and uh, I didn't even see it. I'd written the article and like I had a migraine, went to sleep, and you know <laughs> I woke up and I like I, I tapped on the computer, and it's like one of those moments where you look at the the, the article, and usually it'll say like you know. 80 hits, uh, 800 hits. It said 80,000. And I thought, oh, no, what's just happened here? <laughs> and I, then I went to Deadline, and I realized there was like hundreds, hundreds of comments. Of comments. Wow. Yeah. And um, one of the things that was uh, mortifying about it was, you know, I wrote honestly about my experiences of, sure. um, doing it. And one of the things that I said was, you know, it's, it hurts hard because you know you put a lot of your best work into it. And I knew that, you know, the script had problems when it came to me, and I did good work um, uh, making those problems Unhappen, and and I said it in the context of what we were just discussing: how sure. things get um, scripts can get developed off a cliff, but it didn't come off that way. It sounded oh, like no. I was throwing the uh, other writers under the bus. Yeah, and when you write something, um, a Q and A, Q&A, when you think you're just writing to, you know, uh, uh, three hundred, you know, screenwriting geeks, right. you don't think. Um, you, you don't think you're talking to the world that you, um, <laughs> right. you know what I mean? You don't choose your words as as you would if you were thought thought you were talking to what turned out to be like hundreds of thousands of people. So, uh, so when I read that, it was I had to call the other uh, writers or at least email them and apologize. Wow. This isn't what I meant. I had to write a like a. 
I, I wrote to Deadline Hollywood. I had no idea it was going to show up on Deadline Hollywood. But sure. again, it looked like I had written this letter to, to Deadline, Deadline. Yeah, Hollywood. That's exactly no. how it looked. Yeah, and no. like that, I was I was deliberately trying. Like it looked like I was trying to like position myself to distance myself from the movie, and it was it was not at all what I intended. And so I wrote and I tried to explain. You know, I'm not. Um, uh, trying to throw anybody under the bus and it, it was actually ultimately really silly the other writers are very well respected in the industry and they uh, they got none of the blame for the uh, uh, the, the movie's uh, ultimate box office mm-hmm. crash but um, but it was it was hard because not only did I feel uh, you know, like it was an emotional slug in the gut for have for you know the, the movie failing it was also I just felt bad about the article, but um, ultimately, though, I eventually it turned around because uh, there were a lot of other besides you know the snarky people who write comments on dead on deadline. Yeah, yeah. Um, I noticed that it kept getting p- picked up by other screenwriting blogs, and ultimately, the the message that I wanted to give to people um, uh, about the experience was, um, you know, I, I lived with my father, who's a musician. Uh, for uh, for so long, and he'd, I'd see him as he played audition after audition, you know, for different orchestras, for um, uh, trying to make ends ends meet by playing, you know, um, church jobs and, mm-hmm. and rodeos. That you know, no matter how bad things got, he got up the next morning and he practiced for six hours. You know, I remember uh, uh, in particular, and I wrote at the end of that um, that article that I remember him. After, you know, we were doing really poorly financially. It was right after the musician's strike of, I don't know, what was it, 79 or whatever. Um, and uh, he had an audition where, you know, when there's an audition for a seat in an orchestra, a major orchestra, 500 trumpet players from around the world show up. And the joke is you have to wait for someone to die for a seat to open up. Yeah, oh absolutely. God. And that's pretty much true. And there's so, a movie in that. Why did that, so that musician suddenly show up dead? These opportunities are few and far between. And he played the whole audition, and out of like those hundreds of, of different trumpet players, he came in second. Wow. And second is, is close, lose. but nothing. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh and boy. so I remember him coming home, but, you know, the, and, you know, uh, uh, sure, he, he was devastated. Sure, he was, uh, you know, not easy to, for us to live with for a couple of weeks, but he, boy, he got up the next morning to practice. And so that, that was the message that I was trying to send to writers is that if you choose to be in this, in any kind of, uh, to have a creative career, you're going to be faced with these kinds of disasters. That's just the nature of what of the bit kind of business we have chosen. Um, whether you're a novelist or a screenwriter or a musician or a painter or whatever, you're going to find yourself in a situation where, you know, the worst happens. And all you can do in those situations is get up the next morning and continue to do what you do every day. Um, because, it, you know, you're going to have highs too, but yeah, the, the, the one thing that... Uh, that you have to come back to is that craft, that idea. I get up and I write, and maybe it's I'm writing a scene, maybe I'm writing um, part of a blog article, maybe I'm writing part of a short story, maybe I'm um, uh, I, I'm doing an impromptu uh, uh, movie with a bunch of friends, and we're, we're running around with a red camera doing a short, but I'm working every day, and um, that that was a message that I was trying to get across, and that message actually seemed to resonate with a wider population. Like, you know, the, the the Hollywood community they're going to be um, they're, they're going to be snarky, but the wider community of creative people, sort of around the country, who do any number of different kinds of things, really responded to that, and I got a lot of positive feedback for that, and ultimately. I never want to be um, ashamed of writing something I think is true. And the, uh, that blog article was 
the truth about a particular experience. Um, one sentence was uh, interpreted by some people in the way that it shouldn't, but I don't really care. You can't control that either. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, um, and ultimately, you know, the it, it certainly didn't hurt. Um, it just certainly didn't help my career to write that um, that article, and certainly didn't hurt the writers who came before me, who are well respected and get plenty of work. Um, so I have no regrets. So everybody, get up in the morning and practice. Right, you know? exactly. You're going to hear a random story. It's not random. It's uh, coincidental. Okay. I, I, w- I was a professional trumpet player, and I applied to the USC master's program in really? jazz. But not to study with your dad, although your dad being there was like a big plus. Uh-huh. And I wanted to study with Bobby Shue. And I remember like, I, I got like to the audition process, and but at the end of the day, I wasn't the, they only took one or two horn players that year. And I, I don't know where I was in that ranking, but it's like mm-hmm. if you're not two or le- you know if you're not number one, you're not going. How you funny! Know? How yeah. funny that it kind of all. And that's out. how I learned how to write every day. Was you know I would it didn't matter how bad the audition went or how bad a gig went. You still got up and did your arpeggios and your warm ups and your lip slurs and and work on the material and you go and you play your gigs and that's just what you do. And with writing, that's where that's where I got the discipline to write was from playing trumpet. It's not quite as bad as it is for actors who have to go out on auditions, yeah, but yeah. we still have to go out on pitch meetings. Yeah. And we, a lot, of, and the, the real hard ones are those pitching for writing assignments, where you come in and you see this, uh, you know, because it's like Wimbledon. You'll, you'll go into a, a, a studio or a, a production company, and they'll, you know, that they're talking to thirty different writers about their takes on whatever it could be. It could be, oh, we're going to do a Swamp Thing movie, or we're going to do. A, uh, a, a movie based on this this uh, book, this thriller that we have, or we want to, you know, we want to do a movie about Vikings. Tell us, you know, give us your Viking or your. And Hercules. that's all you get, right? That's all you get. <laughs> and so you come in with a, a with a pitch, and then you get excited because out of those thirty, you know, now they're just talking to five, and then or or six, and then you repitch and you talk like the to the next person up on the ladder, um, and then a few more get down, and you realize, okay, to the the head of the, you know. The uh, the VP in charge of production, or the uh, you know the head of the production company, or whoever the decision maker is, um, you know that you're one of the three, two or three who are going to go pitch your take, and you know that one of the reasons you're being chosen is because you know it's like you know when they're trying to sell you a diamond, they 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 show three diamonds to you. Um, and you don't really know where you are in that ranking. Are you like the bad diamond? To, uh, they're mm. putting just to make you're you, like oh, you could occluded. go this way, yeah. but, you know, and they really want you to buy the middle one. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's hard to go into that situation after all that work and be, uh, and not get the job to come in second and because you come in second a lot um, as a you know at a certain unless you're that A-list writer because a lot of times I get the feeling that when you go for a writing assignment you know there's the expensive choice. Like there's, the Zalian or the, you know. There's the expensive <laughs> choice. There's like that middle choice. And somehow I, I'm always the middle choice. and then, Or there, there's like that up-and-coming up scrappy kid who's never had a credit the, choice. The baby and, and he or she right, is the baby writer choice. <laughs> so which do you want? Yeah. And you never, and you know, I, I'm, uh, I've been lucky. I've been chosen a lot of times and I, I, I've come in second a lot. So. <laughs> Oh, that, thank you so much for being on here. Because, You're welcome. You know, uh, people who listen to this, it, it, they they range as far as you know uh, whether they're the expensive person or, or whether they're the baby writer. Right, but, exactly. But what you said about you know, even if you come in second, you have to get up and do it all over again is always important to hear. And 
And I like to hear that uh, playing the trumpet will get you writing gigs. Who knew? Exactly. So, um, yeah, you know, everybody out there, take up trumpet. And you think, well. it's bad, you think it's bad to be the middle guy. Um, I think it's easiest to be the, the up-and-comer because you don't really expect to get it. Or maybe yeah. you do, but, yeah. you know, it's uh, it's not that bad. Imagine if you're the A-list writer and you comes don't in and is like, <laughs> I need this job. And they're like, no, nah, we're not going to no, give it to you. Yeah, but they know that they can price themselves out, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, that, well that's what happens to, I mean, I've never been in that 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 enviable situation but they can get priced out of yeah. a, a lot of jobs because everyone just assumes that they they make a certain rate and if you can't yeah. pay it yeah and there's a movie in that too mm. I, <laughs> is there yeah, though there, you know what there is <laughs> i i've come to believe there's a movie the movie about hollywood the movie about the the guy who shows up to to get the gig and he thinks he's got the gig and then he doesn't have it and then he finds it yeah it just keeps going on it's a midlife crisis movie oh okay yeah yeah. Um, so, which means none of us are there. So, guys know. out there, um, thank you for listening. Go to genrehacks.com. I can't mm-hmm. recommend it enough. Um, a deep, by this point, you will have already done your gig at the Comedy Central space. I'm yeah. so sorry that we couldn't That's promote right. it. But um, let me know and I'll put it on Facebook for yeah. this week. Everybody who's listening, go to the On the Page Facebook page and like it because it's more than just talking about what, what podcast is coming up. We're trying to post things that might be fun for you or of interest to you. So definitely go to the On The Page Facebook page. Also, check out Camp On The Page. Go to onthepage.tv, look up Camp On The Page and see all of the different uh, classes that were thrown out there this summer in different genres and different scripted mediums. Um, Sean, I'm going to be totally asking you to do this next summer so oh, absolutely. Uh, be I'd, ready. I'd be happy to come back okay and watch Sean just run away now oh my god <laughs> gotta get out of here um, uh, everybody out there get up and practice and Ruby have a good writing week 